So we're looking at, we've been looking at the book of First Peter for the past few weeks and we've come as, uh, as the calendar, calendar year approaches uh, the end. I mean, uh, believe it or not, we are also drawing to the close of First Peter too. Uh, so we're looking at First Peter chapter 4 today, uh, looking at verses 1 to 11. We have kind of gone through the story, just a bit of a recap. Um, we, we saw that this letter was written to Christians who were scattered in Asia Minor, what's called Asia Minor, uh, in present-day Turkey. Uh, they were new Christians, they were new converts. Uh, some of them were Gentiles, some of them were Jews, Jewish Christians, and they were living in their places. And with their, uh, as they become Christians, they started to adopt a new identity, right? And this identity affected the way they lived in their life. Uh, it affected the way they, uh, they uh, participated in the civil life, in participated in the politics, in celebrations, in festivals, and all of that, uh, all, all that stuff. We saw this uh, previous, uh, previously a few weeks back. And because of this change, right, because of the conversion, the changes that they saw among the believers, the non-believers criticized the Christians. They would, um, they would misrepresent them, they would mistreat them. Um, and there was a, almost a paranoia among the non-believers towards Christians. What are they doing? Like, why are they so engrossed? Why are they so friendly to one another? Why do they have gatherings all the time? Like, why are they always eating together? There's kind of a paranoia. And, uh, and they started cooking up all these stories and misrepresentation of the Christians. In light of this, Peter writes to the believers and says, Engage with the world, live in the world, honor the authority, honor those who have been, uh, honor the systems that you live in uh, as a way of honoring God. Um, even though you're misunderstood, even though you're mistreated, yet engage in the world, live in the world, be in the world, be among your, your, the community, not just the Christians. Even when you are unjustly uh, treated, when you suffer unjustly for doing good, even at that point, continue to live in the world, continue to impact the world to the extent that you can. The term that we, we saw a few weeks back was Christians are resident aliens. Um, resident, they live in, in the place, but they're also foreigners. They're also sojourners. So the, the book is, uh, the letter of First Peter is addressing the, this particular situation. And today, our, uh, so a picture here just... It's a painting, a later painting, but it depicts uh, the, the Christians um, and they would meet in this catacombs, the, 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 how do you call it, the tombs where the dead, dead are buried. Um, they would meet there and I think that also adds to the paranoia among non-believers. Why are they meeting in these tombs? Like why aren't they being normal? So, but this is a picture of them, um, of Christians uh, gathering and uh, living different lives, so to say compared to the non-believers. So today's message is also a continuation of this theme. And uh, we, uh, so let's just read this. Um, let, let's read first from uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 9. And you can follow along in your Bibles as well as I read. This is from the New International Version. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and the detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, we see here there's uh, another implication of becoming Christians. It's not just that they stop uh, participating as much as they did in the, the public life. They also started living a different lifestyle. They started living this life that was quite remarkably different from their previous uh, pre-Christian life, so to say. To the point that their non-Christian friends, their non-believer friends, um, almost ridicule them um, and say, why have you stopped? Uh, you have stopped being, living the way that you did. In fact, this is one uh, quotation that, I, um, that was written by Minucius Felix, um, and this is in which he kind of mocks the Christians, and he writes like this, In the meantime, troubled and worried, you, he's referring to Christians, you refrain from proper pleasures, you do not frequent the theaters, you do not take part in the processions, the public banquets are held without you, you shun the sacred games, the vines set apart for the altars and the drinks poured in libation over them. Thus, you are afraid of the very gods you deny. You do not crown your heads with flowers and you begrudge your body's perfume. You keep the ointments for the corpse, corpses and you even hold back the garlands from the tombs. You quaking pale faces deserving pity. Thus, in your wretched folly, you will neither rise for another life nor live in this one. This is quite a biting uh, uh, commentary about Christians in which he's ridiculing Christians for not doing the things that they did, for not participating in the pleasures of life that they used to in the past. Um, just a small depiction of the, uh, the Roman decadence, as they say. The, the Roman Empire was famous or infamous for their uh, display of decadence and, and, um, and luxury and um, extravagance and all of that. Uh, and of course, Peter is writing about these, exactly these practices. We, are, we, we, we come to uh, learn that these parties, the Roman parties, the Roman decadence, was indeed another level. Um, there are records of uh, parties that stretch all night long, um, this display of wealth, display of glamour, uh, food that's imported from all over the world, like they would pride about the spices that are brought from places as far as India, present-day India, luxuries from fabric from different parts of the empire. And then there would be this display of, uh, of wealth. Even the colors of the houses would be painted with the most expensive paint. Um, their bathroom walls are perfumed to it, uh, perfumed water. I mean, this is like the, the ultimate like, display of opulence and, and, uh, and pleasure and um, luxury. But also, obviously, it also entails uh, what Peter is critiquing, the 
practice of immorality, the practice of lawlessness. Even though there were strict rules about parties in the Roman Empire, a lot of the elites would uh, bypass these rules uh, in, a, in, a, in a way, in a life of lawlessness. Peter's message to these to Christians is quite simple. He says, flee from these vices, flee from these practices. That was your past, that was their past. That's not who you are anymore. That's who you used to be. But now you're Christians, you are believers of Christ. Now flee those past. Instead, be sober, pray, and love one another. That is not your life any longer. Your life now is to be sober in prayer, in love, uh, to, to be sober in prayer and in love for one another. Before we go into this uh, uh, quite concise um, challenge that Peter gives, I just want to dwell a bit more on, on the issue of drunkenness, on the issue of uh, decadence. Uh, and um, we, we, we come to know that, that the practices of uh, luxury and pleasure in the Roman Empire was, as I said, another level, to the point that even their own philosophers, their own thinkers, would heavily critique these practices. Um, uh, they, they would, um, so yeah, uh, you might have heard this, this uh, term, phrase, bread and circuses. It comes from um, a, uh, uh, a satirist by the name of Juvenal. It's believed to be written by Juvenal. And he's critiquing how, the, how people are superficially appeased. That's, I know there's uh, uh, such an abstract notion. But the idea that instead of, instead of the government or instead of the empire doing something good for the people, they would give circuses, they would give entertainment, they would give parties for the people, they would feed the people. Instead of addressing the real issue, they would keep people happy by providing all this entertainment and bread. Um, and uh, satirists and uh, critics like Juvenal and other philosophers as well, they crit critique, they, they would criticize this, this practice very heavily and say uh, the government or the empire is just controlling the people. Uh, and of course, it is also a criticism of the people. The people are easily persuaded by entertainment and bread and whatever light pleasures that they would give instead of addressing the real issue. Bread and circuses or drunkenness became a way to blind people from the real issue. Uh, from, and I, I, I've heard a lot of journalists in India as well use this phrase, bread and circuses, to criticize the government um, in which festivals after festivals in the city uh, whereas the real issues remain um, unaddressed. But uh, all, all of that being interesting enough, um, the point here is that uh, these parties and um, extra practices of extravagance, they do one thing for the people. They blind people to the reality of what is going on around them. Drunkenness, entertainment that we see in this, uh, in, uh, that Peter is criticizing, they blinded people from the truth. Uh, it's a way of masking, a way of hiding what's really going on. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of ethical writers in the Roman Empire uh, who, who lamented this, uh, this reality of, uh, uh, of the Roman Empire. Of course, Peter's point is more than that. He, he's, he's not just criticizing 
like public engagement of people. He's saying something more specific. He's saying that when Christians are drowning in, in entertainment or drowning in their own uh, indulgences, it, it stops us, it becomes a barrier to the Christian calling. And what is this Christian calling that we, uh, we, we see Peter, Peter spelling out here? The Christian calling is to, to be sober in prayer and to love one another. When, we are, when Christians are, go back to the old lives of indulgences and uh, 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 the, the life that they used to live, it stops them from living the life, the calling that God has called them to. In fact, we see this not just with Peter, we see this with Paul as well in um, his multiple letters. He would, uh, could, uh, he would co uh, condemn these practices and he would always tell Christians to, to not go back to those practices um, and instead to focus on prayer, to focus on loving one another. So let's try and um, break, break down this, uh, this phrase uh, one by one. Firstly, sober, the, the, the idea of being sober. Um, when Chao spoke a few weeks back from chapter 1, verse uh, 12 to, to 20, uh, 20 something, the second part of chapter 1, he touched on this a bit. He said, uh, he, he touched on it because in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, be sober-minded. And he mentioned a little bit about, about uh, being sober or to uh, not be drunk. I always think that this is an interesting notion that, uh, that does not necessarily only talk about drunkenness in the literal sense, like to be drunk, to be drunk with wine. I think it's also about uh, being distracted, being numb of our sensibilities. Um, and I want to be careful here because I, I, I know friends, I know families for whom drunkenness is a way of coping, a way of uh, managing the stress, the, the disappointments of this life, uh, so to say, to drown out the realities of the world. And I want to be uh, um, careful um, in this and say that I understand that. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's a way of managing the crisis, uh, intoxication, the dangers, the, the, the pain of addiction. Uh, those things are for sure. But the truth is that when someone, a person is, uh, drunk, when a person is intoxicated um, with whatever it is, uh, it's, it's a state of distraction. It's a, it's a place of intoxication where you are, you are blind to what is going, around, going on around you. Um, the, this intoxication, this drunkenness keeps people numb, zoned out from what's happening around them. It stops them from being fully alive. And obviously, you can see how that is detrimental to our relationship with God in our prayer. Um, we cannot be, we cannot, uh, we need to be sober to have a life of prayer. Um, and on the on the other side, to, to be drunk, to be self, to be indulging, to be indulgent, is ultimately a posture of self-seeking to please oneself. The the Roman lifestyle that we mentioned earlier, the excesses of Roman lifestyle. It's about self-centeredness. Like, how can I eat as much as I can? Or how can I enjoy as much pleasure as I can? It's a self-centered orientation of life. It's completely opposite to the posture that God wants us to be as Christians, uh, which is to love one another. So 
I think there's uh, an interesting connection between being sober-minded because it is when, only when we are sober that we can pray. It is only when we are sober that we can love one another. I think of our context today. Um, Roman excesses, Roman decadence, all of that is not necessarily relevant for us. Um, but there are things, I think, that in, in this world that intoxicates us, that keeps us numb and uh, keeps us um, um, disengaged. And I think of, I mean, there's, there's so many other things, but I, today I just want to draw attention to, like, media, right? Um, there's always something to do. Um, so our, our household, we caved in, we got a Netflix subscription, and my, like, so much option. Like, there's, there's no time to be bored. Like, you can, you can watch it on your phone, you can watch it on a TV. You know, it's like, there's convenience. There's, if, if something fails, there's always Amazon Prime. <laughs> uh, there's always the option. There's always something to do to fill you up, to intoxicate yourself, to not face the reality of the world. Um, I, to, to think a little bit more, um, um, I won't say cynically, but uh, in, in, in light of news these days, like uh, I was saying, sharing this in a prayer meeting with all that's happening around the world, uh, news can also become a way of numbing ourselves uh, to, to the reality. Um, conspiracy theories, like there's, there's lies, there's, uh, there's all kinds of things going on around. And uh, when we think about this media overload, uh, these options that we have, there's always something to do. And the, the, it, the thing about these options is that uh, it gives you more options to pursue our own self-centered desires, more options to pursue what we want, what we desire, uh, to drown ourselves with distraction rather than to face the reality, the, the deadline that I have to f finish. YouTube is more fun than, than doing that. <laughs> but um, with all these options that we have, with all the excesses, I think it's fair to call these excesses in, 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 um, so, many, uh, in so many ways. With, with, uh, practically speaking, what it means is that it stops us from being alert to what is going on around us, uh, to in the world around us, immediately in our household. It stops us from being alert to what is going on around us. Um, and it stops us from what we might call solitude, from being by yourself uh, in prayer or just being by yourself, knowing yourself, understanding your anxieties, understanding your own fears and, and uh, worries and all of that. So being sober is not just about alcohol and parties, but it's also about how we face reality, how we face this world, I think. Um, when we are sober, we can pray. Prayer is ultimately about aligning ourselves in, to the will of God. Uh, prayer, James puts this, in the book of James, uh, he, he says, if someone prays with double-mindedness, the prayer will not be answered. Uh, essentially, what it means is that prayer is not self-indulgent. It's not about us and what I want. Uh, it's about seeking God's will and seeking what God wants me to do. That can only happen when we are sober, so to say. Um, prayer comes only when we, we are align ourselves with God's will. And that, is, uh, that can be sometimes a bit of a wrestle. Uh, it, it requires focus, it requires clarity. It, it involves that we listen to God, involves that we speak to God. 
if I'm in a restaurant with Vime and I'm touching the phone, I'm trying to have a conversation, it's not going to happen. In the same way, in prayer as well, there needs to be some intentionality and engagement with God um, in the conversation. So it, uh, solitude is, I mean, sorry, soberness is uh, vital in, in prayer. Also, I think of mindfulness of what is around you. Unless we know the needs of those around us and the world around us, how can we even begin to pray? Um, we may be living in our own bubble, concerned with our own concerns, unless we are attentive to what is going around us. Uh, we, our prayer will be quite weakened. We also note that this is what Jesus would do. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, uh, the Gospel of Mark says, Very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He sought out this clarity, this 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 time of soberness to communicate with God, to pray and to seek his own, uh, uh, as he thought in the beginning of his ministry, especially, he took the time to be sober before God. Uh, prayer is to know God's will, to follow God's will, to submit ourselves and our will to God's plans. And I, I, uh, that I think that we cannot do that without being sober, without being clear. Uh, all of that being said, I just want to give, uh, quick, give a quick um, caveat and say it's, not, it's easier to say than to follow in reality, to, to follow God's will. What does it even mean to pray and to follow God's will? How can we know God's will? I think many of our existential struggles, uh, if I may say so today, are faced with the challenge of is this the right thing to do or is this the, uh, God's will for me to do? And I'll be honest, that's not easy always. Uh, we have to wrestle with it. We have to wrestle. We have to struggle with that question all the time. But I think that's why we need to be sober. That's why we need to be clear. We need, we, we need to understand what's in front of us, not be distracted by all the things that's going on around us, understand the situation, understand the people around us, understand what people tell us, listen to others, and, uh, and decide, so to say, to f how to follow God's will. It takes courage, to be sure, to step out, uh, believing that this is what God wants me to do. But the point is that we cannot come to a place of seeking and doing God's will if we are drunk in our life, if we are self-indulgent in our life. The other thing is love one another. Um, can we truly love others if we are self-indulgent, if we are not sober, if we don't know what's going on in their lives, can we truly say we can love one another? In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, uh, he says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another with a strenuous love, another translation says. It's effort. It takes, uh, it, it takes self-control. It takes self-restraint and sacrifice to love. And that's not something that can be done from a state of drunkenness, from a state of self-indulgence. Um, uh, some commentators say that this challenge to love one another and specifically if you keep reading uh, the challenge to be hospitable to one another it's spoken to poor Christians um, who, who, are, uh, who nece don't necessarily have all the wealth that they can spend and yet Peter challenges them, these poor Christians to share, to, to share what they have to be hospitable to one another uh, to love strenuously to love with uh, with uh, earnestly from a pure heart. 
we cannot be looking out for one another. We cannot be loving towards one another when we are self when we are driven by self-interest, when we are driven by self-indulgence, in, in which we are, our concern is only for ourselves. Um, when all we think about is, how do I maximize pleasure and minimize pain? Um, how do I maximize indulgence? If the entire posture of our, of our activities of our life uh, is uh, self-centered, self then um, that's not a place of love. Entire posture, the entire attitude of love is the sacrifice of even one's desire, the sacrifice of even one's comfort, to help even when it hurts, to sacrifice. Also, if you're, if you're drunk, metaphorically speaking, if you're, uh, if you're kind of zoned out, it means you are not available for, we cannot be available for people around us. Uh, we are not being vulnerable to people around us. Uh, being sober helps us to be available to the needs of those around us. So Peter challenges the Christians, be sober, unlike your previous life of, uh, of decadence and pleasure. Be sober, pray and love one another. Then he goes on to say, uh, in, in, from verse 10 onward, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another. As faithful stewards of God's gift, God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This passage ends with a lovely benediction. And it, it kind of encapsulates or, or concludes all of the things that he has said and says that we do all of this to glorify God, to bring glory to God, to bring praise and reputation to God. When we follow the example of Jesus, when we love one another, when we are being there for one another in prayer and in action, it is those things that glorify God. We just sang a lovely song just some time back, let the glory fall in this place from this room to the nations. One of the ways that happens is through our 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 prayer, a life of prayer and a life of love, a life of service to one another. Our goal as Christians, and what Peter reminds us, as believers, as people of God, is to be attentive and to open our eyes and our ears to serve one another and to serve the world. To be sober, to be open and to be available. To, as he says here, to determine our gifts and strengths, as he says in verse uh, verse 10 and 11. To, to know our gifts, in order to know our gifts, we need to be clear. We need to search and pursue it. Um, not from a place of drunkenness, but from a place of clarity, a place of intentionality. To speak the words of God, as he says in verse 11. Uh, speak as though you are speaking the words of God. It carries a certain sense of responsibility, right? I mean, you're you're representing God in front of one another, uh, uh, a sense of weight. And this is not something that can be done from a place of being distracted or, um, or being focused on oneself. So it is through our prayer, it is through our, um, um, it is through our soberness, it is through our uh, intentionality, our prayer and our love for one another that we can bring glory to God. Let us pray and then we'll...
continue to respond to the worship songs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have um, opened our eyes to the, to the light. We thank you, Lord, that you have made the blind to see, and we, uh, we are grateful for the opportunity to, to live as your people. We, Lord, we ask that we, we, we pray that we will be fully awake and fully open to uh, who you are and what you're doing among us, uh, especially as we think of our loved ones and, of course, of our world, of the work that we have, of the friends and uh, circles that we are in. Help us, O oh Lord, to be attentive and be aware of uh, the needs around us and the blessings around us as well, that we may, um, yeah, we, that we may not live a life that is um, zoned out and um, and forgetful, but uh, we, we may live a life that is truly attentive, that is um, truly witnessing to your work in this world. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>